Most gracious and loving God, we thank you for being the primary actor in our lives, for calling us into your love, and to surrounding us with your encouragement and hope at all times. Amen. At the age of 17, C.S. Lewis wrote to a longtime friend, Arthur Greaves, I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity isn't even the best. Fifteen years later, he wrote to Arthur, Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call real things, namely the actual incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. Now that is a productive 15 years in God's kingdom. Had it not been for that decade and a half, one of my favorite books would have never been written. And so, in the early 20th century, C.S. Lewis said this. Once, while riding on a bus in Oxford, this is actually about C.S. Lewis. Sorry, once while riding a bus in Oxford, Lewis had the sense that he was holding something at bay or shutting something out. He could either open the door or let it stay shut. But to open the door meant the incalculable. He finally submitted himself to God, and this is how he described himself, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. This belief in God happened in 1929, but it was not, t- not until 1931 that he sur- surrendered himself to Christ. He wrote this in Surprised by Joy. You must picture me alone in that room at Magdalen, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. This is Jack, this is C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis, one of the great apologists of the English church. And then one last quote from Mere Christianity. Lewis writes, it costs God nothing, so far as we know, to create nice things, but to convert rebellious wills cost him crucifixion. 
You see, this is an insight into how God is at work. This is um, one of the most amazing examples of God's relentlessness, the power of God's love, overcoming the will, the invitation of a perpetually loving God, pulling someone who is so resistant into knowing how much God loves, to what extent God's love will go, how persistent God is in loving you and me. Another example we have is from our Old Testament reading today, another reluctant prophet, Jonah. You know this is not good news when the reading starts with, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And we all know the story, the great fish swallowing Jonah because God says, go to Nineveh and tell them. And Jonah says, Nineveh's that way, I'm gonna go this way. And he keeps trying to get away. But the fish spits him out on the proper shore with the Ninevites, Gentiles, adversaries of Jonah's people. He tried to run away. He was dragged back by a fish and spit out. So finally he enters that city that is three days walk across and walks a whole day into the city and proclaims, repent, because Nineveh is coming down. And possibly the only time a prophet pronounces such a thing and a whole city hears it and changes their mind from the greatest to the least. They start fasting, they put on the sackcloth, and God sees that their hearts have changed. And he doesn't offer destruction to that city. Now this is what makes Jonah one of my favorite books in the Bible. Jonah sees this repentance and he's kind of PO'd. He's like, God, are you serious? You spit me out from a fish. You send me into the Gentile city where they don't like me. I tell them something they don't want to hear, and you're not even going to rain down fire? It says this. This is the actual text from the book of Jonah. But this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. I just love that Jonah is so mad that God is so forgiving and merciful and loving. And then Jonah says, and now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? The persistent love of God seeking out the unexpected 
through the reluctant, a love that does not take into account our inabilities, our unwillingness, our shortcomings, the predisposition of our hearts, but a God that will consistently and persistently pursue and offer love for the sake of redemption. If we turn our attention to Saul, who was one of the greatest persecutors of the Christians, was known across the region as one who will have Christians executed, a Jewish leader who did not want this new sect to take off and was doing everything in his power with his office and his ability and his intellect and his will to stop them. This Saul becomes our Paul, who is one of the great proclaimers of the grace of God to churches all across the region whose letters we have as our holy text. And this is from Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that he, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. A persistent, loving God that does not allow us to get in the way, who pulls us into the kingdom work of love, gives us ministry that we don't understand and don't deserve, invites us to share good news that is beyond our understanding and our will. God is a caller. We heard it last week. As Serena pointed out, the, the calling of Samuel by name, the understudy, who then took on the reins of the good work of God's people. In this season of the Epiphany, we have the unexpected Magi Gentiles from the East we have Jesus standing in line for baptism with sinners. These are stories of God pulling ordinary, unexpected people into the life of the kingdom, about God choosing the unexpected. And so in this morning's gospel, we hear Jesus starting his ministry after the temptation in the wilderness, proclaiming that the kingdom of God comes near, that the kingdom of God is approaching. It is not being approached or sought out. It is arriving. It is landing in their midst. It is not expected. It is not known. This is so unexpected because 
rabbis of that time would not have sought out followers. They would have been pretty picky about who they allowed to follow them. They had very high standards for who their disciples would be. It was a showing of status and worth. So this norm of Jesus walking along the seashore and seeing some guys in a boat and saying, come, follow me, is not only unheard of, but would have been abhorrent to any rabbi. But we have a Jesus in this story who is the actor, the one who is doing the calling, the one who is the kingdom of God approaching, the kingdom of God coming near, the work of God inviting the unexpected to follow him. These fishermen were nothing like what would have been normal, and Jesus sought them out. This is the good news, that we have a God who comes near. This is the epiphany for this season after the epiphany that we have a God that comes into the midst, that calls the unexpected, that pursues the ones who resist and reaches to hold those who desire to be left alone and loves those who feel unloved and unlovable. This is the tender mercy of a God that is greater than our expectations, that is greater than even our hopes. And so I would like to close with this passage that is a continuation of that passage from Surprise by Joy where C.S. Lewis is kneeling and being the most reluctant convert in all England. He went on to say this. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing. The divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape? And I love this. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. Thanks be to God. Amen.